Hello, friends, and Happy New Year, and welcome to 2023. My name is Scott. You're listening to the Coffee and Books podcast. I have some exciting news today. I have actually two books I have for you today. We're going to talk about the first one right now, make them each their own separate episodes. But today, the first book is going to be called, and let's pull it up. It is called Midnight in Chernobyl by the author Adam Higginbotham. came out in 2019, I believe, uh, not too long ago. It is actually a compilation of sort of news and journalism about the Chernobyl event. So that is its own little serious uh, pile of news right there. But in other news, I just wanted to make sure that all of you are having a wonderful new year. If you haven't already, definitely go check out the book sales going on. Um, I was recently at Goodwill and found this book actually available. So always be sure to check out your local Goodwill uh, mainly because now that it's the new year, people have might have done some spring cleaning uh, early, and they might have actually gotten and donated some books. Uh, so definitely check out Goodwill, and definitely get uh, books for like 2 or $3 each. It's always a nice little place to start. Um, I recently picked up this book and this other book called Rage, which I'll get to soon. And there's a book about East of Eden, you know, sort of by John Steinbeck. So I, I highly recommend going by because you never know what you're going to get. And that's just a ball of fun, especially when you're perusing and browsing things like records and when you're browsing things like CDs and other things that these places have often. They're often very affordable and sometimes even in hardback or paper-bound books and sometimes even in fair condition. So anyway, Back to the Chernobyl event. Uh, so my personal background with Chernobyl. Did not know a whole lot about it. Studied it in high school. Um, not super in-depth or detailed. Did not know nearly as much stuff about this. I knew it was a big event. Knew uh, I personally knew about it, but I didn't know, for instance, about the HBO uh, miniseries that came on about it. I didn't know about the, you know, things that were out there, the movies, you know, things like... Uh, you know, you had a China syndrome, which actually talk or talked about in this book, books and movies that are famous that are kind of all centered on this, you know. So first we have to kind of go back and cover the birth of atomic history, and then we'll go into the Cold War, and in particular we'll talk about Three Mile Island, and we'll talk about the events of Chernobyl, and how that played a significant factor in the downfall of the Soviet Union, and the birth of a lot of different countries, uh, particularly in the Ukraine, um, but uh, before we get into all that, we're going to talk first about what it is. What is Chernobyl? Chernobyl was a nuclear power plant that is, was supposed to provide uh, basically energy, nuclear power to the surrounding areas, uh, which is a huge section of the Ukraine. Um, but, you know, this was something that was sort of updated for the times. Uh, nuclear power had been a thing since, of course, you know, the 1950s, and the USSR, once they had one patent down, they kind of went and made a bunch of different power plants. So Chernobyl is not the only one, uh, but Chernobyl was probably the most famous one because of this nuclear disaster. So what happened? Why do we know about it? Uh, Chernobyl basically was an event where it was a uh, nuclear meltdown. Uh, to make a quick summary of nuclear power plants, it is basically when... Uh, the nuclear fuel was not cooling down, um, and when the nuclear fuel is not cooling down properly, it can raise the heat and temperature, which causes an actual meltdown. If a meltdown occurs, then there's things like you know radioactive uh, stuff that is released into the environment, uh, you know things that are contaminated. Uh, this could affect not only 
places like, you know, where it would have happened, you know, directly the power plant itself, but it could affect the entire planet. So it's a, a pretty big deal that this happened. And why might you say, is it a big deal? Is it still a problem today? And the answer is yes. The entire area of Chernobyl is basically gone. Uh, it is still radioactive and highly, highly dangerous. In fact, if you even want to go visit it, you have to have a special tour that can take you through that, which you probably don't want to go to anywhere near there right now because that is where the Ukraine and Russian war is happening. So definitely not a place on the to visit list at the moment, but when this book was being written, it was possible to take tours of the area um, that was affected somewhat, uh, particularly the town uh, that was surrounding it where a lot of the nuclear workers were actually staying. That was very important because, you know, it, you get to see what life was like in the Soviet Union, which we didn't have exactly the best picture of during the Cold War. But, you know, many people got a very good glimpse of it uh, because all these buildings and places are stuck in time. They're frozen in the 1980s. Uh, many of the people that were living in the town of Chernobyl basically had to flee. Uh, they were told that they could come back uh, within a few days, which we'll get to later. But basically, everything that is there has been the same as it was when the date actually happened. So, and of course, Chernobyl happened in 1986, which was four years before I was even born. So it's very important to know that this is a very dated place. Um, it is specifically a single important point in the USSR's history, but not only that, but world history because of all the countries that were affected. Uh, you know, places that I didn't realize were affected, and not just the Ukraine and Russia, but, you know, places like uh, Sweden and Germany and, you know, places uh, that were in the middle of Europe, you know, were definitely contaminated by this radioactive fallout, which led to an increase in deaths because people had cancer and other such factors. Okay, so the first question you're probably wondering is, is nuclear power safe? And that is a very loaded question because we've had our own accidents, such as Three Mile Island, which happened in the US, a partial meltdown. Um, we've had that type of stuff happen all over the world. So as a result of this, even though nuclear power is very efficient, it's also dangerous if it's not taken care of properly. And we see that. The USSR believed that nuclear power was the way of the future, um, especially when they were building these factories. Um, it is very unfortunate because while I think the idea, the concept was good of building nuclear power plants to bring you know, clean energy to everybody, so that way you, know, you didn't have to use fossil fuels and coal and you know, oil and natural gas, those were things that you know, would have been very useful and productive for not only Russia and the USSR, you know, countries, but the entire planet, you know, we could have used that. But of course, uh, this is kind of showcasing what happened. So when the Three Mile accident happened in the United States, that was in the late 1970s. And as a result, the U.S. nuclear industry actually came to a halt. Uh, we stopped building a lot of the, our nuclear power plants because we were scared. There was public outla uh, public backlash um, there was outreach programs. There was all different types of stuff that happened that basically said, hey, we don't want this anymore because it's dangerous, because we associate it with a nuclear bomb or because we associate it with danger uh, or it could poison us or kill us without us even knowing. And as a result, we're just saying, no, we don't want any more nuclear power plants being built. And so the U.S., because of their, uh, you know, our major accident, we actually decided to slow down that process entirely or even stop building a lot of those plants. But the USSR 
continued. So during the Cold War specifically, many plants, I believe about 36 plants, were constructed very quickly. And they were used with a very specific type of reactor. And in particular, these reactors were built hastily. And in fact, it is probably the biggest and scariest part of the Soviet Union, is that while these um, many, many different projects were under construction, the U.S. economy and the Russian economy were very different. Of course, we all know how the U.S. economy works. It's based on capitalism. And therefore, you know, if we are building you know, a project or under construction, there's many federal regulations, but most importantly, there were contracts in place. You hired workers to come in and work at a facility. But in the you know, USSR and places like that, uh, you have this very, very rushed, bribed, corrupt practice, which is basically let's just throw money at something and say we're going to get it done, specifically at an unrealistic expectation. You know, they would say, we're going to build a nuclear power plant and we'll get it done in five years. You know, which, okay, that sounds, you know, that, that's a long time. But you know what else? Uh, you know, they rushed their projects. They would often show up to construction projects and would have things like, uh, you know, their construction equipment being broken or stolen or, you know, a lot of the stuff was just basically band-aided, you know, together, you know, packaged in a way that, you know, there was a band-aid on it and it would work but not very well, you know, things like the pipes that were used and things like that were not of the best material. And basically, a lot of these nuclear power plants were not in the best shape. Chernobyl was an example of that. Um, now, another interesting factor is that a lot of the blame was placed on the people who were actually there, which is not necessarily their fault. You know, again, you know, if you rush a project very quickly and you say we're going to use the cheapest materials because we want to get it done quicker and efficiently, then you're not going to necessarily do it right. And that's basically what happened. So step one was the first mistake. We're going to build a nuclear power plant and we're going to build it in a very quick, escalated fashion with a science that was new to us that we maybe don't understand 100% back then. And as the process escalated and more and more places were being built, they noticed what was going on. And this is where we get to step two. The practices were covered up. Mainly, the Russian government did not want the people uh, to know about the fact that these nuclear power plants were being built quickly in, in a way that was sort of shoddy construction. So they basically hid that. Anytime there was an accident, anytime there was anything that happened with nuclear power, censored, Right. So that's step number two. Uh, Chernobyl and other places like it, nobody even knew about in the Soviet Union. Nobody knew the full details until the Soviet Union collapsed in the 90s. Okay, so that's factor number two that went wrong. Factor number three, the people who were in charge disregarded safety practices. Now, again, this is, again, the way the Russian style of bureaucracy works and not necessarily how other countries in the world operate. But you have the factor that is, you know, you need to meet quotas and deadlines. And again, people are corrupt and they're bribing officials to get work done quickly. So what you have is you have employees who are not necessarily trained properly sitting in a room with basically a loaded gun. One of those days, the loaded gun is going to go off. You know, but of course, having somebody in charge, you know, you might be able to avoid that bullet. However, these people who are involved... You know, the people who were actually at the facility and many of whom were victims did not necessarily know either what was going on because their supervisors lied or said that they didn't know what was happening. Or, you know, there's also the factor that 
We have the people in charge, just like I said, brushed it under the rug, covered it up, said that we don't know what's going on. There was a fire, you know, that we, we didn't know what exactly happened. So not only do you have people there that were responsible, and not only do you have the shoddy construction and the government that was responsible, but you have a combination of factors that basically end up with all these things going wrong that lead to this nuclear meltdown. And it just is my point that so much had to mess up. So many bad things had to happen for this to get to this point. And yet nobody stopped it. Nobody said, we're going to raise alarm bells. And if people did, they were quickly quieted. But again, there were people who were good who did try to raise awareness to the fact that, you know, maybe we should say something. And that's a lot of what's covered in this book, is that there were people out there who were heroic saviors who did try to save as many lives as possible, uh, you know, people who did evacuate the territories and people who helped with that, you know, people let complete strangers live in their homes so that they could, you know, completely move and be away from this. You know, the entire city of Kiev, you know, probably had to be evacuated during this, you know, things that, you know, close places that were nearby, you know, they had to make sure that, you know, the water wasn't being contaminated. You know, Chernobyl was in an area that it could have leaked to many, many different countries, you know, in the sea. So it's very possible that, you know, many non-USSR countries, you know, like I said, places close by, would have been hit immediately with radioactivity and fallout, and a lot of innocent people would have died. Not that the people who were in the USSR were not innocent, but obviously I was just saying that both sides would have been impacted, Um, you know, and that the USSR was least responsible for its own citizens. Um, so what happened? Why was it so toxic? Well, basically, the radioactivity does, doesn't just go away. It doesn't just break down. You know, a lot of it ended up creating radioactive rain. So a lot of it got spread to, like I said, other countries. Uh, you know, a lot of the fallout wasn't able to be put out just immediately. You know, they tried sandbagging and things that were trying to put out the fires that were there at the facility. But again, they had no idea of the effectiveness they were worried about since nothing like this had ever happened before and Russia had never anticipated uh, you know, something like this of this magnitude ever happening. They just assumed that the worst was possible. You know, things like a complete you know, destroyed planet. You know, what if the nuclear fuel ate through you know, the building and went into the core of the earth and what if there was a huge meltdown that killed everybody? You know, like that was basically real concerns that they had. You know, movies like The China Syndrome, which are you know, based on fictional beliefs about the nuclear power industry, you know, led to real beliefs and real dangers that people actually thought of for the USSR and Chernobyl. Okay, so like I said, there were good people, people who were firefighters, policemen, people who did try to come in and save lives. Um, Like I said, many of these people were victims themselves. Um, You know, you did have the Soviet Union try to at least acknowledge what was happening. You know, eventually... You know, there was a process of, like, we're saying nothing is going wrong, but then things were obviously being noticed by other countries nearby. So what's with the sudden radioactive increase? You know, it, you know, this was all explained, of course, but, you know, a lot of people had tough jobs, you know. The leader of the USSR had a tough job holding it down together, you know, Gorbachev. You know, how could he possibly hold together a crumbling empire? You know, a lot of people blame Gorbachev for what happened and why the entire USSR completely fell apart. But what's so amazing about all this is that Chernobyl was the start. 
you know, if people didn't trust the government anymore and that's lies were starting to be exposed for, you know, oh, yes, you know, nothing's wrong, but then something is clearly wrong and other countries start to notice this, you see a breakdown of trust in society. That's exactly what happened. Five years after the events of Chernobyl, all those countries that were satellites of Russia, you know, became independent. The USSR collapsed and the entire, you know, Eastern Europe was a completely different place because it was no longer about... Uh, you know, one thing or another, it was about all these countries all of a sudden want to be, you know, going down their own paths. And that's exactly what we see today and partly why Russia is wanting back its old territories. You know, people who used to live under the Russian Empire, you know, the USSR not so long ago, are fighting for their own independence right now just because of what's happening, uh, you know, between two different countries. So uh, even Chernobyl was again in the news as Russia you know, his army actually took over the nuclear power plant. So that's also a very scary thing, a battlefield inside a nuclear power plant that was happening nearby there. Okay, so what's the basics? What, what happened in the story? Did, you know, they save lives? Did, you know, millions of people die? Well, no, but there was an increase in the amount of deaths that happened. And there was a lot of, like I said, things that did happen, a lot of safety protocols. The world noticed what was happening. You know, so there was a big increase in, you know, an interest in other energy sources. All of a sudden, you know, you know, even though people said nuclear energy was safe, there was, this, you know, two big black eyes that just happened. Like I said, Three Mile Island's meltdown in the U.S. and the Chernobyl meltdown in the USSR has basically convinced the entire planet that that's not something that's necessarily feasible right now. So other resources were invested in, you know, things like hydroelectric, wind, solar power, those things became more and more interesting to different governments to provide energy. And that is partly why we're in that situation today. Uh, but if you were watching the news not too long ago, specifically at the end of uh, 2022, you would have seen that nuclear fission is possible, which is a whole new resource uh, for renewable energy. You know, the thing that is basically created in the sun that produces energy, if, you know, that is possible to create on a scale here, then we could basically provide unlimited energy for everybody and, you know, clean, safe energy and a way to provide that for everybody would be fantastic, you know. But again, everybody would be freaking out because it has the words nuclear in it because it's associated with all the bad things that have happened with nuclear power, you know. Like I said, nuclear energy is just a resource, and how you use it is, you know, how the world views itself. So, you know, maybe, you know, if we used it as a, a weapon, you know, that would be bad, of course, but if we used it for a resource for good, maybe it would be better. But, you know, we can't control everybody. We can't control what other nations do and how they do it. So if they have nuclear energy and resources, there's dangers from that. And we just have to accept the fact that, there is a scary world out there where something like that could go wrong, where an accident could happen. Uh, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully governments and people work together in order to ensure you know, something like this doesn't happen again. But like I said, it's very important to know that Chernobyl was this event that was a catalyst for many things. And after all that, I'm going to say I gave the book a, a 3 out of 5 because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the preferences of the author, his journalism, him interviewing different people involved in the incident. I, inver I really appreciated the notes and resources that he painstakingly took. Um, it is a very large book, and it will take you a long time probably to read all of that. So 
And that's why it took me forever to do this podcast. I was working on it. Uh, now, having said all that, I will say that there was some downsides to this book. What was the downsides? Um, well, for starters, I didn't necessarily uh, know a lot about nuclear energy to begin with. This is not necessarily the place to get everything. Um, it is a good start. If you are interested in knowing more about Chernobyl, this will give you basically the entire history of Chernobyl, but it won't give you the history of nuclear power. It won't give you necessarily all of the scientific facts about nuclear power, and it won't encompass the history of the USSR that led up to that point and why they were so heavily invested in, you know, nuclear energy. It will go come up, excuse me, it will go, go over and cover some of those things, but it won't entirely give you the full background and story of the history of the USSR and why they use nuclear energy. So would I read this book again? Probably not. I'm not saying uh, I wouldn't ever pick it up again. I'm not saying I would never recommend it, but as somebody who was interested in, uh, you know, history, this is a very dark topic and talking about it can make people uncomfortable. So like I said, I enjoyed it, but I also felt like the whole time I was reading it, I might as well have been reading about other bad stuff that's been happening in the world. Uh, okay. So anyway, here's some book quotes. So let's see here. Uh, radiation, radiation is all around us. It emanates from the sun and cosmic rays bathing cities at high altitude and greater levels of background radiation than those at sea level. Underground deposits of thorium and uranium emit radiation, but so does masonry, stone, brick, and adobe all contain radioisotopes. The granite used to build the U.S. Capitol is still so radioactive that the building would fail federal safety codes regulating nuclear power plants. All living tissue is radioactive to some degree. Human beings like bananas emit radiation because both contain small amounts of radioisotope potassium-40. Muscles contain more potassium-40 than other tissue, so men are generally more radioactive than women. Brazil nuts would a thousand times more than the average concentration of radium of any organic product are the world's most radioactive food. And then... Uh, the economists in Moscow had no reliable index of what was going on in a vast empire. They nominally maintained. The false accounting was so endemic that at one point the KGB resorted to turning the cameras of its spy satellites onto Soviet Uzbekistan in an attempt to gather accurate information about the state's own cotton harvest. Um, then we have another one. Uh, Legas Legasov didn't want to listen. He insisted that they had to take immediate action, whether it was effective or not. People don't understand if we do nothing, Legasov said. We have to be seen doing something. This is when they're talking about trying to fight, specifically, you know, the uh, you know accident. You know, they didn't know the effects of everything, but they felt like they should do something, even if it led to people getting hurt. They thought if the world saw them doing something to try to curtail it or, you know, at least fight the fires, it would look better. And then we have another one here. Society where the cult of science had supplanted religion, nuclear chiefs were among the most sanctified icons, pillars of the Soviet state. To permit them to be pulled down would undermine the integrity of the entire system of which the USSR was built. They could not be found guilty. This is after the course of events where a trial was held, uh, you know, the whole thing about this in the USSR is that the trial was sort of like a sham. In other words, it found people guilty, the operators. It did not find the people who built the plant as responsible or the fact that it, the Soviet government wasn't responsible. 
Um, it said, hey, there's these guys that were running it at night and they made some mistakes and they're the ones that caused all this harm. They're going to go to jail. And in fact, that's basically what happened. Uh, so why did that happen? Well, because they wanted to shift the blame. And as I just said in my quote here, um, you know, these are pillared icons. You know, the idea that the Soviet nuclear energy industry is supposed to be unapproachable is that the idea was is that, hey, we're going to make sure that our icons, our people who do this, you know, are perfect. And you can't say anything bad about them because if you do, you know, and it's, it's real, then that will shame our nation. And that's basically what happened. They, they covered up everything that happened, and it wasn't until the collapse of the Soviet Union that the country of Ukraine was actually able to understand and go through all the files that happened. And in fact, some of those files made it back to Moscow, so we don't even know the full effects of everything that happened and how many people died or were affected by this. Um, and so, anyway, to make a long story short, you have this event in history that happened that was a single moment during the Cold War, you know, being you know the U.S. versus the USSR, you know, our allies versus their allies. This you know country on edge already. Everybody thinking it was a nuclear accident, which it was, but you know the USSR, like I said, the controllers and the builders of these factories, all were responsible for the thousands of deaths that occurred, um, and. That's just very important to note that, you know, not one group, well, not one group was responsible, but multiple groups and multiple failures had to happen for Chernobyl to occur. And uh, we'll see what happens. And hopefully with this latest, like I said, the latest news of nuclear fission being possible, maybe that there will be other things that happen and exciting in the future. You know, I'm excited to see if, you know, energy becomes more efficient for everybody, if like that's a new factor and we have unlimited energy, then, you know, there's, it raises the resources for all of us and there's just unlimited possibilities of what could happen. So hopefully bright future ahead of us, hopefully nuclear power is safe and that they find a way to regulate it in a way that makes it responsible for everybody. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Chernobyl was a good book that I would uh, recommend if you like history and you have a very, you know, interesting uh, personality like mine, you'll want to go and read books that describe events in history that are sometimes dark and morbid, and Chernobyl definitely fits that. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, stay tuned for another one. And uh, like I said, if I don't see you guys, have a, a great, happy new year, uh, happy holidays. Uh, thank you for listening again, and hope all of you guys have a great day.